Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, Arif Dean. Arif, thanks for manning the fort for the four or five days that I was gone there, getting a podcast in with Peter, and uh, yeah, just keeping up with this team that suddenly, uh, I guess, got hard to watch, right? We talked for a while at the beginning of the season about the whole concept of wake me up when the playoffs start. Well, I think we're going to have to wake up a lot sooner than that, considering, uh, you know, they're kind of stacking up some losses still okay in the standings, of course, but you know, with all these injuries going on, they might have a little bit of a hill and I'm emphasizing a little bit of a hill to climb once all the injuries are back. A little bit is the best way to put it. First of all, welcome back. Uh, hope you had a fantastic time in Florida. Great place to vacation in December and leave Denver. Yeah, I, uh, I got a sunburn in December. What's up? Good. That's that's the way to do it. I actually know somebody that went to the Broncos game yesterday and got a sunburn there. So <laughs> sunburn is nothing special in December. In I don't Colorado. sunburn easily, though. You, yeah. you know, you and I have a little bit darker skin, so it's yep. tougher for us to sunburn. <laughs> I've maybe been sunburned five or six times in my life, but um, no. The coolest thing, man, and just this this era of technology that we live in, right? I, I was flying home yesterday during the Avalanche game. Poor planning on my part, but it, it is what it is. And luckily, I didn't miss a single second of that game just because they had ESPN on the flight. I caught the entire game. My flight basically took off in the middle of that first period and landed well after the game. So what, what a great time. I, di- I didn't really miss too much abs hockey while I was gone. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, it's great that – you can catch a game like that. It's just perfect timing. It kills time on a flight, but uh, you caught a good one because when Peter and I did our podcast, we did one following the Boston game, which I know you were not there and I know you were somewhere on a beach, but more than likely you kind of got a glimpse of what was happening. That was after Lekkanen, you know, that was before Lekkanen, Nichushkin, and all those guys returned. That was the AHL lineup day where they right. got steamrolled by the Bruins and I mentioned something on that episode and the listeners are going to hate that I'm repeating it, but I got to catch you. You got to catch me up. Yeah, I got to I got to catch you up. And it was that if there was a slope and the slope is going up and the higher the slope gets, the worse it gets with the injuries. I said it then. And that, that was, was before the peak. bingo. I said it before in return. The Boston game is the peak. It's going to start to go back down. We saw against the Rangers, the avalanche played a far better game. They took a one nothing lead. Obviously, the Rangers tied it up, and then they lost in that shootout in a you know a coin flip of a game, like Jared Bednar said. So it got better there, and then against the Blues, very similar ish kind of game. Got a one nothing lead, lost it on just a backbreaker of a shorthanded goal by Brandon Saad. Just a strange broken play where it hit the linesman. McCarr tried a backward pass to Comfer. Comfer stumbles and Saad scores, and you're thinking it's over. The Avalanche just blew another one nothing game into a 2-1 to loss. Their goaltending gives up only two goals, and they're going to lose again. But then Miko Rantanen steps up, scores that game-tying goal, and then gets the win in overtime, finishes the hat trick. The only guy to score, the Bruins game, the Rangers game, the Blues game. Four goals the Avalanche had, <laughs> all of them from Miko Rantanen. So just a wild finish, and, and basically the whole point of that is to say that slope took a dip from the Bruins game to the Rangers game, took an even bigger dip with the St. Louis Blues game, and now we got some home cooking coming up. The Avalanche have four straight at Ball Arena. Yeah, indeed. I mean, once Nathan McKinnon goes down, I mean, it's hard for everybody to just, I guess, keep accepting what's going on, right? You just kind of throw your hands up in the air and shake your head and just be like, what the hell is happening? But we're so lucky that that window, like you're saying, that peak 
is such a short period because, yeah, you already got Lekanen jumping back in the lineup, Nichushkin back in the lineup. It feels like a lot of guys are, are getting a lot closer. So while it was uncomfortable for a brief moment, we are so fortunate that it was only brief and feels like we're only going up from here. Yeah, and, you know, the, 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 like you said, it was brief and it was very obvious when those injuries were starting to rack up, like, these are not long-term injuries. We knew Evan Rodriguez was a two to four week return the day before Thanksgiving. So this Thursday will be three weeks since we knew that Arturi Lekanen was day to day. He was in concussion protocol and it was just a matter of getting cleared out of there. We knew Nachushkin was getting close. We knew Darren Helm is getting close. Um, we know Nathan McKinnon is probably an early January return. We know Gabe Landeskog is probably a late January return. So once Rodriguez and Helm come back, which right now we're recording, it is 7.45 in the morning, Monday, December 12th. Those guys might be back tomorrow, Tuesday, at Ball Arena. And if they are back, all that leaves is Landis Gog and McKinnon. I know I say that, and it sounds hilarious. Only Landis Gog and McKinnon are injured, and obviously Curtis McDermott, but he's kind of a defenseman more so than a forward. So from the forward court, only 29 and 92 would be out. And then it would be time to kind of see what you got with the rest of the roster. And then between January and February and up to March 3rd, you get back 29, you get back 92, and you get back whoever the hell that guy is that's going to play second line center because there's a big thing. There's a big, uh, you know, understanding that the Avalanche aren't just going to let this deadline come and go. They're going to bring in a big name and it's going to be someone who's going to play 2C. And as long as you don't have any other injuries, could you imagine that the avalanche get on a little bit of a winning run and then you bring back Landeskog McKinnon in a second line center? That would be pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of like what happened last year, just a little bit different timing. But um, I think one thing I really noticed from that St. Louis game before we move on with the show here is just that last goal that they scored, or the tying goal, the last goal in regulation with what, seven seconds left. That was just, um, it reminded me of the team of old. It reminded me of last season, the team that had no quit in them, the team that would find ways to get back into the game. And the fact that they were able to re-spark that identity with all these injuries still in front of them, I think uh, we have nothing but good things to look forward to here because it seems like from a mental standpoint, the team has kind of overcome all the injuries, right? It's just about outworking teams now. It's just about, you know, keeping the skill and playing smart. But I guess as, as far as feeling sorry for themselves and giving themselves excuses, I, they've overcome that. I think publicly, of course, they always act like they're not bothered by it. But, but I think, you know, it, it was right, an issue. Right, it was absolutely right. an issue. And, and, and I, I think that's behind them now. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, again, we've talked about this before. Like, these are not robotic creatures. This is not an EA sports game where you take out McKinnon from the lineup, see who has the higher forward stats, defense stats and goaltending stats, and then simulate a game. It doesn't work like that. There is a mental aspect. There's a human element to it. And the human element and the mental aspect is the Boston Bruins just came into ball arena with a 23 and one record. We are the Colorado Avalanche, the defending Stanley Cup champs that just lost to the Philadelphia Flyers who had one win in their last 10 games because Nathan McKinnon got injured early. And by the way, he had an assist before he got injured. And here we are. We're fucked. Basically, that's that was that was the feeling on Wednesday. It was the feeling at morning skate. It was the feeling when the game started. And despite the Avalanche not surrendering any goals in the first period, you can still tell they were putting all of their energy into keeping the Bruins off the board that they couldn't generate much. And then as soon as they tried to generate offense, the Bruins scored twice, then they scored two more in the third. So it was, there's a human element to it that you can tell has started to kind of go away. 
God bless our boy JT Comfort because he must have heard you a couple weeks ago saying that he needs to pick it up because he has picked it up and he looks incredible. I'm loving the play- game he's playing and it was the just the right person to have right there in the crease mucking it up for Renton and to be able to poke that tie and go home. So hell of a win, incredible win for the Avalanche against the Blues, which is a team that's struggling, but it's a team that's healthy. So the Avalanche are sitting here. It's it's the general consensus with the Avs right now is this is a team that's injured and that's why they're racking up losses. At least they're not in a situation like it is with the Blues where nobody knows why the hell they're playing bad. Nobody knows why Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo are having tough seasons, why Ryan O'Reilly was just brutal and now is slowly picking it up but isn't all the way there. Nobody knows and ha, 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 that Jordan Bennington sucks and why he sucks right now. But they're not finding ways to win games and they're healthy. So for the avalanche, as grim as we've sounded over the last week or so, I'm here to tell you, it's not time to panic. That was literally the episode of the podcast I did with Peter, because this is just such a different feel. And everybody knows this team is going to get healthier and better. I feel like once a season, we have a a podcast titled this. It's not time to panic. This kind of tends to rear its ugly head every year, but um, I think, you know, yeah, it was a kind of an ugly week, week and a half. Um, but you look back to two weeks ago and we were kind of saying the opposite. What you were just saying of the Blues, we were saying the opposite of the Avalanche, right? They keep finding ways to win and no one knows how, right? You were just saying how the Blues can't win and nobody knows why they're so bad. The Avalanche kept finding ways to get get it done and no one knows how. Well, maybe they regressed a little bit to a normal style of hockey for yep. what they had. And uh, still were able to get some points, still were able to get um, a couple wins out of it. So the biggest the biggest thing with that regression is it happened just as Manson, Lekinen, and McKinnon were all injured in three days. That's what <laughs> made it so much worse was that because they beat the Buffalo Sabres six to four on December 1st, and then it all kind of start to started to unravel. But hey, they're 14, 10, and two. And you talked about that. Nobody knows how they were winning stretch. The Avs won seven of eight games. And during that stretch, like seven and eight, they were seven and one. And the one loss, I think, was the Blues one. I forget. They, it was something like that. In that stretch, had they been something like five and three, the season and the standings look a hell of a lot different. That seven and eight, seven one stretch or seven two stretch, whatever it was, is the reason why they're 14, 10 and two right now. That crazy ass victory against the Carolina Hurricanes where they got outshot. I think by a three to one margin, both of those crazy ass victories against the high flying Dallas stars. Like those are the games that when you look at the standings, now you say those are the ones that mattered. So yeah, let's look at the standings a little bit, right? Still have a couple games in hand, still floating nicely. Currently, as you pointed out, we're on here, we're here Monday morning. So um, this is easily going to change by the end of the night, but Colorado sitting comfortably in that third spot in the central division yep. and uh, Minnesota, really the only team breathing down their neck with one um, less game in hand, but the exact same amount of points. And then uh, if you get into that wild card spot, I think that's when things get slippery because there's a, a few teams that are contending for that. But as long as you're worry. sitting in that top three, you're, you're, you're sitting pretty. Yeah, because then you got to worry about the other division too. The, the Minnesota right. Wild, 14-11-2, the Avalanche, 14-10-2. So Colorado has that extra game in hand, which you know the Wild lost that game. The Avalanche mm-hmm. have an opportunity to win it. But another thing to keep in mind, and it doesn't really matter yet because we are 26 and 27 games into the season for the Avs and Wild, is the regulation win column. That's the first tiebreaker. Colorado 10, Minnesota 9. So even if the Avalanche were to lose on Tuesday, in regulation, and I haven't looked at the Wilds' uh, 
schedule, but let's say the Wild don't have any games until Wednesday. They would both be at 27 games. They would both be at 14, 11, and 2, but Colorado has that tiebreaker. So not that it matters now because a shitload of things will change between now and April, but as of right now, Colorado has the fort down on that third spot. So um, it's 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 a good spot to be. It's ideal. I mean, look, they, they are seven points back of both Winnipeg and Dallas, the Avs are. But they have two games in hand on the Stars and one game in hand on the on the Winnipeg Jets. So, you know, a couple of wins here and suddenly you're only three points back of the Dallas Stars with the same 16 wins. The difference is Dallas has five OT losses. You have two. So you would be three points back. And suddenly, you know, you win a couple of games here during this home stretch in a row and things look a hell of a lot different. So they're in a good spot. They're comfortable. It's not a deep enough kind of you know, deficit in the standings where you still can't win the division because you still can win the division. Like hell, you can still win the conference, the Vegas golden Knights. They're 29 and one, but they're five and five in their last 10. They've played 30 games and they're 11 points up on the avalanche. So four games in hand, you can make up eight points. You're suddenly three points back of Vegas. Obviously that means you got to win four straight, which is tough with this roster right now, but you look up and down this, the standings and you notice that this team is very much in the thick of things. And it's kind of, you're a little bit fortunate that number one, you don't have a team in your division that has a 21, five and one record or a 22, four and one record like the devils and Bruins. And number two, you're also a little bit fortunate that the Minnesota wild and the St. Louis blues and the national predators. Those are the three teams that made the playoffs last year have all taken massive steps back to the point where you are able to say it's only Winnipeg and Dallas ahead of you and not three, four or five teams deep in the, in the central. The team from last year kind of spoiled us a little bit, didn't they? I mean, we are sitting here. I don't want to call this a negative feeling podcast, but a little uncomfortable in the last couple of weeks while the Avalanche still sitting comfortably in a playoff spot. But I think the most, um, I guess when I'm looking at the standings here, what stands out to me the most is is that goal differential, right? Because last year, the Avalanche goal differ- differential was insane. Right? I mean, we, we had so many games last year where they were winning seven to one, six two five zero you know so um that's kind of evened out a little bit this year and and rightfully so right this has been a challenging year for him so far and i have all the confidence in the world that that goal differential is gonna swing back to uh a a bigger discrepancy than it is now but the fact that they're only at a plus eight this uh you know quarter mark into the season is is just a testament to what they've had to overcome this year and how much different of a season that they're having so far than last year they were at a plus 22 on November 30th. So that should tell you all you need to know about this recent stretch because they got shut out five to nothing or sorry, not, not November 30th, right before that game on November 29, because they got, you know, they had beaten the Dallas stars. They were at a plus 22. They got shut out five, nothing by the Winnipeg jets. Then they beat the Sabres by two goals. Then here's the tough stretch lost by four to Boston, lost by two to Philly, lost by four to Boston, lost by one to the Rangers. And then they came back and only win by one. So there's a little bit of ground to make up, but Hey, you know what? With the returns of Rodriguez and helm, which are coming up here shortly with Nathan McKinnon in in about a month with Gabe Landeskog in about six weeks, hopefully they stay healthy, knock on wood the rest of the way. And I know, I know I'm kind of avoiding talking about defensemen right now, but obviously bone Byron and Josh Manson are still injured as well as Curtis McDermott. So I've been kind of fixating only on the forwards for everybody thinking I'm, you know, forgetting that Byron and Manson are injured, but a lot of time here to make up some ground. And this is another thing that Peter and I talked about. The schedule ain't that difficult right now. You had the blues, then you got the flyers 
who are out of the playoffs, the Sabres out of the playoffs, the Preds out of the playoffs. Then, yes, you have the Islanders, which are in the playoffs, but then you got Montreal, Nashville, Arizona, all out of the playoffs before closing with the LA Kings and the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Kings, who are in the playoffs but struggling, the Maple Leafs, who are absolutely blazing hot on fire, 8-0-2 in their last 10. So uh, it's not a tough stretch. You have a lot of home games, which means a lot of practice days because less travel days. And you don't have any back-to-backs because you're playing on odd number days the entire month, minus the 25th, Christmas. And your two road games are in Nashville, which you know how to win there, and at Arizona, where it's a college campus with a bad team that you should probably win there too. So this is the time to make up all those points. And the funny thing is about this being the time making up all those points is this is just the December schedule. So that's before McKinnon and Landis Gog return. And then when you do get McKinnon and Landis Gog return, it only gets better. Just for funsies, the leader in the NHL at goal differential right now, Boston sitting at 48. The basement dweller, Anaheim, sitting at negative 50. Yeah, Anaheim has been brutal. Negative 50. (laughs) I watched one or two of their games. They have not been good. Uh, Guys. Don't forget about Superbook Sports. Of course, it's a great app and um, a lot of great betting to be done. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they'll match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if that bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy any sports this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call one 800 5224700. We talked all all day about the returning of a few injuries. We touched a little bit on the return of Lekkinen and Chushkin. Let's get into them a little bit because I, I think obviously those two big pieces of what the Avalanche are capable of doing, especially offensively. You saw in that um game winning goal and the game tying goal, Val Nachushkin having a part in both of them. Um, so I think obviously he's the the huge piece we've been, all been waiting for, for quite some time this season, but uh, yeah, just get into Lekkanen and Ranton and then, and, and, or Lekkanen and Nichushkin and their returns. Uh, I loved the line that the avalanche put together there, Ranton at center. Um, I am not a proponent or a believer in playing Ranton at center full time. I'm not a proponent in having line one center McKinnon second line center Ranton and, you know, combining them or surrounding them with four really good wingers, I believe Rantanen at his best is on the wing. But in a pinch, when you have an injury to McKinnon, Newhook hasn't stepped up as your line two center. The guy who should be playing line two center is Rodriguez, and he's also hurt. And then you got Comfer, who is now playing line two center. Uh, it's good to be able to move Rantanen to center. So the Avalanche having that option and playing Lekkanen and Nechushkin on his wings makes a world of difference. Because Rantanen, like, Think of what the last four games have been like for him. Him and McKinnon have been kind of running fire on the NHL all season long. He loses Nate against the Flyers on Monday last week. Then on Wednesday, you're suddenly playing the Boston Bruins with nobody. And he was playing on a line with Newhook and I don't even remember anymore. I I don't even want to remember. I think it was Newhook (laughs) and and Charles Houdon, I want to say. Um, And, you know, you're Miko and you're like, yeah, way to go. Go team. But yeah, this fucking sucks. Uh, Then you get Val Nachushkin back. Val Nachushkin of seven goals and five assists in his first seven games. Val Nachushkin of, uh, I'm going to retrieve every puck and battle in every corner for everything I can possibly get out of the other team. And then the ge- and then you you know you score a goal with Nachushkin on your wing. Uh, it was a goal against the Rangers where Nachushkin didn't get an assist, but he was in front of the crease screening Shesterkin. 
Then the very next game, you get Lekkinen back. So now you have Nichushkin doing his thing, Val, and then you got Mini Val doing his thing on the other wing. You put that all together, you get a hat trick. So for Miko, getting those two guys back has been huge. Only one of them usually plays with him, and that's uh, that's uh, Lekkinen because you're going to have McKinnon kind of centering those two guys. But just it's crazy what the addition of one or two guys can do. And I know these are two of your better players, but just those small additions could do so much for you. And especially for someone like Miko, who kind of had a running mate and then lost it all. Yeah, I mean, with that, we also have the return of uh, Evan Rodriguez and Darren Helm, like you kind of said uh, earlier. So once they're inserted in the lineup, how do you think things kind of adjust? And obviously a little bit deeper level of comfort, but also still fully not healthy. So two-part question. What do you think it looks like once those guys are back? And then we've seen, what, I'm going to guess seven or eight AHLers throughout the year so far. Who do you think has done the most to kind of stick around and uh, still fill these voids that need filling? Wait, sorry, repeat that second part. Which of the AHL guys have stood out the most that deserve to guys. fill those okay. those voids? All right, yeah, sorry. My mind was thinking about the injured guys. Um, that's, the, that's the problem with a two-part question. Yeah. All right, well, you know what? Let's build this together. Let's let's build this lineup together without Landis Goggin. There was McKinnon. a second where I thought we were going to have to build an entire NHL lineup based off the Loveland roster. That I almost had that idea for a show at one point uh, a week <laughs> or two ago. Oh, man, that would have been terribly depressing and not entertaining <laughs> at all. Uh, all right, so let's build this roster. Let's pretend, you know, that and, – and it's it's not even, like, much of a thing to pretend. Like, Helm and Rodriguez are both very close. So those guys come back, Landis Gog and McKinnon. They're not going to be here, here in December. They'll be here after the New Year most likely, unless McKinnon makes some kind of miraculous New Year's Eve comeback against the Maple Leafs, which is the same team he came back against last year. But – Let's build this roster. You're going to have Lekkinen, Ranton, and Nichushkin as your top line. And then you're going to have... So this is the good part about finally getting back Darren Helm is you can get Comfer away from Logan O'Connor and Andrew Cagliano without ruining that line because you stick Darren Helm there and let them do their defensive thing. So then you'll have what? Rodriguez, Comfer, and who? You hook? You might have to. It's really telling that Newhook was the fourth line center yesterday. With all the injuries, Jared said you're playing on the fourth line. That that says a lot to me. But let's say it's Newhook, and then your third line is Cagliano, your usual fourth line, Helm, and Logan O'Connor. And then the fourth line, this is when it gets fun. Who from the AHL guys? We've seen Martin Kau get sent down. Um, Charles Houdon has hung around. Uh, I feel like they're liking Foodie. They're liking Foodie, and I think they're liking Houdon as well. Yeah, so I think Foodie, Houdon, stay stay around. And Ben Myers. And Ben Myers, yeah. Yeah. So that's the roster that I would roll with. It would be Lekin and Ranton and Nichushkin, Rodriguez, Comfer, Newhook, Cogliano, Helm O'Connor, Foodie, Myers, Houdon. Because those are the three guys. I think they were a line, I want to say, against the St. Louis Blues, uh, and they did pretty dang well. So... Um, that's an energy line kind of through and through Ben Myers was, that was more of your third line. And then new hook was centering the fourth line. Um, so that's kind of the way that I would go. And is it the best roster? No, but it's a roster that can string together some wins, especially given the competition, because the only team that you're going to have to worry about over the next few games of trying to steal a couple of points from is the New York Islanders and Igor Shosturkin. Other than that, it's the, like I said, the red hot Toronto Maple Leafs on new year's Eve. 
but not a lot of tough competition coming up. So that's going to help a ton. Uh, while we're at it, I just want to pull up this lineup from yesterday just to make sure I got this right. But yeah, so yesterday it was Lekin and Ranton and Nichushkin, which is the same line I was just talking about. Uh, Cogliano, Comfort, O'Connor. So put that down to your third line instead of Comfort at center, put Helm there. Houdon, Myers, Foodie was your third line. So bingo. You take that, you make it your fourth line, and then you get the additions of Darren Helm on one line, which frees up Comfort, and then you add in Rodriguez, and then you add in, obviously, Newhook as the other winger, and then Hunt and McDonald take a take a seat, and Dryden Hunt is there to replace Foodie, Houdon, or Myers, depending on who kind of struggles. McDonald will take a seat as well, maybe shift back to defense, get Brad Hunt out of the lineup uh, until the returns of Manson and Byram, and, and you roll with that for a little bit. Both of the hunts are kind of secret weapons, right? Both with NHL experience, both can get out there and make a little bit of noise. But yeah, you don't necessarily want them to be the main guys in the roster. But if you have to use them in a pinch, I think they've been fine. And, and like we kind of talked about a couple weeks The roster we just named has three energy lines to it. And bingo. Like you brought up, playing the teams that they're about to play seven or seven of the next nine games at home, this is kind of a lineup that is going to do just fine against the opponents that they're that 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 are coming in and that they're about to face because they are also borderline AHL teams as well. So um, I think as long as you have that hard work mentality and three lines that are going to be hardworking lines, I, I'm I'm with you and Peter. I don't think this next stretch of games is going to be uh, difficult whatsoever. Yeah, and speaking of that Blues game, I just got – I'm going to go a little bit off the rails here. I just got a text from Peter Baugh. This is, this is by the way, for our listeners, this is Peter Baugh at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning. I think he's flying back from the wedding he went to over the weekend because he was not at the game on Friday, nor was he uh, working yesterday's Sunday game in St. Louis. And you, so he, you must have been lonely. Probably. So Peter is either no, you, you. Oh, him. me. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was. Yeah, he was probably lonely, too, because I'm not there. But yes, <laughs> uh, it was a very different feel in the in the press box on Friday. But Peter's flying back from the sweating or flew back last night and is already up eight in the morning and texts me for no reason at all that I think Noel Achari would be a great deadline pickup. And honestly, I kind of agree with that. That's the kind of energy type of player. You talked about hardworking players. Think back to the Blues game yesterday. The guy that was winning big faceoffs for them, playing that high energy type of game. That's the type of dude that it would take to, you know, that's the type of dude that it would take to put you over the edge. You know, those Abe Kubel guys, those Nico Sturm kind of guys. My favorite one of the three that I'm about to mention Andrew Cogliano, when he was brought into the lineup, you suddenly got that jolt of hardworking, uh, hardworking forward entered into the lineup. That's the kind of thing that Noah Lachari could do. So just a random thing I wanted to throw there, get off the rails. That would be a cool pickup for the Avalanche. And all it takes is those hardworking players. The beauty of this Avs lineup is the top six is full of those kind of guys. They don't have any top six forward where it's like, well, when this guy's on, he's the best. And when he's not, you know, no Brock Bessers where this guy's a great goal scorer, but when he's not scoring, he doesn't provide much. Nichushkin and Lekkinen, we know what they do. Gabe Landeskog, we know what he can do. Uh, obviously, last year was Kadri. <laughs> you can't speak volumes about the hard worker that guy was. Nathan McKinnon, everybody knows how hard that guy works. And now Miko Rain, and look at how hard he's been working his career. So 
Diaz's top six is full of those guys, and then your bottom six is full of those guys. That's what wins you championships is that hard work and mentality. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just going to be cool. It's, it's basically this, the story of two different seasons, it feels like. And once that new year hits, it's going to be kind of what we're used to. And, and we'll see how this team climbs up the standings and tries to regain that number one spot in the central. But uh, I think for now, it gives us something to talk about. It's a little bit entertaining, right? We started the season off kind of bored and, and just ready for some excitement well here's the excitement we've been waiting for the ups and downs of the season here they are in december so um yeah i i like the conversations we've had but the overall takeaway simply is just that there are brighter days ahead and and there's a light at the end of the tunnel with all these injuries and once those injuries are back granted if the the rest of this team as long as nobody gets injured nobody else exactly the uh they're going to be close to as dangerous as they were last year especially if they can find a couple people during the uh the trade deadline there bingo yeah it's it's gonna be night and day difference when you get those guys back as long as you don't have any severe injuries the rest of the way so things are shifting for uh forward for the abs on the topic of severe injuries and maybe shifting away from things moving forward and maybe things that aren't moving at all that's Bo and byram right we're still kind of waiting for him to get back on the ice and start skating even in a non-contact sweater so it's been quite some time since we've seen him. I mean, of course, he did the same thing last year. This was always the fear with Bo and Byram throughout the last couple of years. So do, do you think now is the time to worry about Bo and Byram and his future? Or, or are we still kind of just sitting where we were at the same point last year? Man, uh, I go back and forth on this. I, I'm kind of concerned for the kid, but I was also concerned a year ago. Um Look, this is a kid that obviously has had concussion issues. I don't think we really know what the hell his injury is this time around. There's kind of been hush-hush about it. But Mm -hmm. last year, 17 points in 30 games. This year, 5 and 10. So in 40 games, he's got 22 points over these last couple of years. And those are just regular season numbers. In the playoffs, he was absolutely fantastic. Only 9 assists, but he was incredible. We mentioned it over the summer. That game 6 clinching game against the Tampa Lightning. Highest time on ice on the avalanche was not Devon Taves or Kale McCart. It was Bowen Byram. He had a coming out party for the ages in the playoffs. Now, the issue with what I'm seeing with Bowen Byram is, so Jared said last week, it was really weird at morning skate a few days ago. He said that there were no updates on Bo and that he hadn't started skating yet. And he was asked if there was a setback and he said, no, he just hasn't started skating yet, but he did take the ice once or twice a week and a half ago so i don't really know what there has to have been some kind of setback because he did skate and then he stopped skating so something is weird there um but bowen byram was announced out week to week in finland between the november 4th and november 5th games against the columbus blue jackets he played on the fourth he played 1752 week to week it is december 12th it has been 38 days since Bowen Byram's last game where he was announced week to week. That's five plus weeks since we've seen Bo with no updates in sight. He hasn't returned to skating yet. Jared says he's, you know, no setbacks, but there's obviously something going on. Um, is it concerning? Yes, absolutely. Now where it gets weird and where the conversation gets a little funky and I hate to turn a negative into a positive, but you prob- Bar- you're probably going the same way my mind's thinking, to be honest with you. Yes, his future. Yep. Bowen Byram is a player that is due for a new contract. Him and Devon Taves are, are both coming up on contract extensions. Bo needs one for next season. Devon, you can lock him up this summer for the following season, kind of like you do with Nathan McKinnon a year early. Now, Bo is a player that should be running his own team. 
He should be the number one defenseman on a team. He should be the number one power play guy. And I think I mentioned this. You and I talked to a couple of NHL insiders over the summer that said Bo's not staying in Denver because he wants to be the guy on a team. And with Kale McCarr there and now Devon Taves, he knows he's not the guy. And even if Devon walks, Kale is not going anywhere. Bo will always be number two. And in the new age NHL, you can't be a number two if you're a power play specialist like Bo is, if you want to play those big minutes, because there's only one PP guy on each unit. And that unit usually plays 90 seconds of a two minute power play. So you're not going to get a lot of power play time. But if you're Byram and you have these injury issues, if the avalanche and again, Byram, had he not been injured these last three years, probably is up for like an eight, nine million dollar contract, you know, a la Mikhail Sergachev. But if the Avalanche come knocking on your door with a Sam Girard type of deal, let's say five and a half million, even a little bit more than Girard, 5.75, even six of a long-term contract. And you know that you've had some issues staying healthy. How do you not take that guaranteed money right now? Because I don't think a lot of teams are looking at Bo now, maybe in June they were, I certainly would have in June, but I don't think right this moment, a lot of teams are looking at Bo and saying, I'm going to trade three or four assets for this guy and then lock him up for eight or $9 million a year for a long-term contract. It's also tough from his standpoint too, because he could easily say, you know, I'm going to bet on myself, maybe do a bridge deal here or something short term and then see what the rest of the NHL has to offer for me. But then again, that's a huge gamble coming from a guy who, who tends to miss a lot of time. So he's kind of in a tough spot with that too. So I think if the avalanche do give you something long-term around that, I think he jumps at it because of, everything you just mentioned that's exactly my thought um for the last maybe couple days and yeah he he can uh maybe the avalanche luck out and keep him as as a number two defenseman for the foreseeable future yeah the the big thing is with the um with the betting on yourself thing there is something to be said about betting on yourself if you feel like you're not performing to your highest standard and you can do better there's something to bet on yourself if you had some kind of a wrist injury and you just know you're rehabbing it but concussions and brain injuries like that's that's you cannot control that so that's where and i feel for this kid so badly because this is a kid that's like if i didn't get that initial concussion and then if it didn't happen again in that play with bo horvat against the canucks in 21 22 in that in his second season this is a kid that's like i'd probably already have 100 career nhl points i well, probably under- sorry go ahead I was just going to say early on in the season and during those 10 games that we saw him play, I mean, he definitely seems to have taken a step forward in terms of being that personality in the locker room that seems to kind of trying to take some sort of leadership, right? I mean, we know with Gabe Landeskog out, somebody's got to step up and we know in that locker room, there's 15 guys that are willing to do that. It really felt like Bowen Byram was getting comfortable in an NHL setting. He really liked to talk to us after the games and he really had a lot of good things to say. And I thought that said everything about where he was at mentally. So to see him have to take a step back, I mean, again, I feel for this kid too, just like you're saying. He's such a stand-up kid. He's only 21 years old and it's crazy to think that. He's such a stand-up guy and he's so damn good. But he's like you said, the personality, the leadership, like this is a guy that you know fully healthy and with a long career. And again, there have been players like David Perron, like Sidney Crosby that have returned from concussions and have made a career out of it with no issues in the future. So you kind of hope that that's where it is for this kid because he's only 21, but you can tell this is a guy that's a leader. This is a guy that should have a C on his jersey somewhere making 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 million dollars, you know, over the next 10, 15 years at some point. Um, but this is step one. Is it time to worry a little bit? 
uh, especially given the fact that there's been no progress on an injury from November 4th and it is now December 12th and it was week to week when it was announced. So we'll see where it, pl- where it goes and how this plays out and shakes out for the Avs. Again, it's a good thing they have Sam Gerrard and this is exactly what Peter kept telling me in the summer when I said trade Gerrard, trade Gerrard. He said, "How do you, you can't trade someone like that when you don't know what's going to happen with Bowen Byram. And that was Bowen Byram coming, out, coming off of his incredible playoff run and especially in the Stanley Cup final, the incredible play he had there. And here we are again. It's December 12th. You don't have Bo. And had you not had Gerard either and Manson's injured, what would it be? Makar, Taves, EJ, and then what? Englund, Brad Hunt, and Jacob McDonald? Like you would be so fucked at this point. Yeah, you would have Nas and Kadri <laughs> probably because that's why you would have traded Gerard to make space for Nas. But it's that's it's just having Bo and not having Bo makes a world of difference in this lineup. And you can already see it with the way the Avs are playing. Right, which is uh, it's going to make it that much more interesting to see how the Avalanche navigate the trade deadline and who they decide is uh, a piece they're willing to part with to to make the team a little bit stronger because it, it's kind of a difficult conversation this season. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, but this has kind of been the theme the last two, three years. The Avalanche always have their top guys each miss 10, 15, 20 games. You know, McKinnon played 36 or maybe it was 48 in that shortened season of 56. Gabe Landeskog missed some time. Uh, last year, Gabe Landeskog missed 20 games. McKinnon played 60-something. Miko played 75. Nas played 71. Kale missed a little bit of time. Bowen Byron missed a lot of time. Like, it's it's kind of the theme of this team is everybody misses 10, 15, 20 games. But by April, you better all be healthy and ready to rock and roll. Yep, yep, yep. If not, you might have to pick up a drinking habit and find your way to Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage. Wow. Mr. <laughs> and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available, and did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Of course, I was just joking about that. Make sure you use (laughs) alcohol responsibly. Don't drink and drive and only drink if you're over the age of 21. Which is funny, Arif, you and Jesse were both throwing shade at me for not being at those games. For You guys were getting getting away with um, eating the junk food without me chirping in your ear. I let I let I gave you guys both a pass because I probably had about fifty-seven mojitos over the past weekend. Holy shit! <laughs> uh, it's an exaggeration, of course, but man, I love mojitos, especially when I'm down in Florida. Interestingly enough, in Florida, man, they have so, t- such great hockey going on. Saturday, I was there, and that was the day where they had uh, the Lightning and Panthers game going on. And walking around Florida, or at least Miami side of it, you would have had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> My Miami's a hard place to gauge interest in hockey. That's a that's that city. It's a hard place to gauge interest in anything. I had like. zero <laughs> reminders of hockey yeah. while I was there. It was kind yeah. of strange. But we were also in Tampa during the Stanley Cup final. I know that's the Stanley Cup final, but we know the buzz around. Mm-hmm. You know, w- we know what the good what a good team can do to a city and the buzz that it can have. So. I, I can't say I've I've experienced that in Sunrise. The Panthers made the playoffs when I was approximately three years old um, against the Avalanche in '96, um, and obviously haven't made any crazy runs since. Um, so I and can't after, speak of Sunrise after losing to the Kraken five to two last night at home. I don't think that Big they're yet. on the road to make the playoffs yeah. this year. But one um, thing they might they'll probably end up squeaking in. I I would assume they would, but 
I'm, I'm going to say it because I've been saying it all year that the Paul Maurice hire was the head scratcher of the century. Currently three spots out and three points out of a wild card position. Those Florida Panthers That's are. That's wild. That's crazy. One thing that was hopping and happening down in Miami, though, was the World Cup era. It's been a while oh, since we've had some World Cup conversation. Yeah. Of course, uh, I think since the last time we spoke, Spain has been eliminated. Uh, yep. which, of course, broke my heart. Um, tough to watch, but uh, it's been such a good World Cup. I've watched every single second since. So shout out to Morocco being the uh, surprise team of the tournament. I know I'm sure nobody really had that on their bracket, but um, interesting to see them kind of not giving up goals and, and not really scoring too many and still finding ways to win. Just uh, just the uh, definition of finding ways to win, right? And they don't necessarily have superstars. They've got a couple guys with big names, and then the rest is are just some uh, some fill-ins. But finding ways to win, playing as a team, and just using the right strategies. Yep. Uh, after the first period of the Bruins-Avalanche game, when it was still 0-0, the Bruins tried to generate a lot, and the Avalanche just kind of held the fort down, and the Avalanche did absolutely zero on offense. I looked at the guys in the press box and I said, did anybody watch Spain versus Morocco? They said, yeah. I said, the avalanche are Morocco right now. They said, if we ain't scoring, nobody's scoring. Obviously, that only lasted for 20 minutes. But here's a trivia question for you. Morocco has surrendered one goal in the World Cup. Do you know who it was against? It was in group stage. No, I don't even, I don't even remember what group they were in. Canada. <laughs> the first team, well, the second team after Qatar, the second team eliminated from the World Cup is the only team to score on Morocco. And lo and behold, it was an own goal. Oh. Like they, they've been that strong defensively, keeping teams off the off the board. Obviously, the Spain game, I think it ended in penalty shots. Yep. Yeah, it ended in penalty shots. And A then the Portugal game. Penalty shots. Yeah, just brutal. Spain, the day I before, I, I remember I even texted you the day before. I think it was Korea that was in penalty shots. And I and Croatia, like, yeah, they just yeah. blew it. And I told you, Korea just did the worst shootout I've ever seen in soccer. And then, lo and behold, the next day, Spain goes and does a worse one. Yeah, uh, it was it was it was bad. And then, obviously, against Portugal, they get an incredible header in the first half, and then park the bus like I've never seen a bus parked ever. Like they parallel parked that bitch in downtown Denver. <laughs> just <laughs> incredible. And now. Obviously, I am a fan of the French, and now it's France versus Morocco. See, for me, once Spain left, I uh, I jump because I'm a big Real Madrid fan. So I'm like, let me cheer for Vinicius in Brazil. Next and day, they're out. Boom, they're out. So now I've got I've got nothing. I guess all I got is is Luka Modric. <laughs> Luka, I love Modric. He's the best. Um, so here's the thing: I am torn because I love France and I've loved that team for about twenty some years. But Morocco is such a feel good. And yes, I'm I'm going there. Morocco is such a feel good African Arab Muslim country that is just so easy to love and so easy to get behind that. I'm just like, I'm going to watch that France Morocco game. I'm going to wear my Kareem Benzema jersey and cry that he's still injured. Uh, I'm going to enjoy it. But it's not going to be the same kind of way I watched France, England, where everything was like a life or death moment. And when when Olivier Giroud scored that goal, you've been in my house from the dining room to the front door. I ran laps back and forth. I ran from the front door to the window where the dining room is like five times, just screaming my head off. I'm, I'm thankful my neighbors didn't call the cops on me when Olivier Giroud scored that that header. Just an incredible game. But that was a France must win I cannot take a loss here. The Morocco game is going to be a little bit different. 
because if France loses to Morocco, I'm not going to sit there and be like, fuck these guys. They eliminated my favorite team. No, no, no. I'm on that Morocco bandwagon. I am 100% going to be on that Morocco bandwagon. I just don't think they're going to do it because France has the kind of offensive weaponry that they've not faced yet because France was outplayed by England and England was kind of England found the way to penetrate that France midfield and defense. You can finally tell that they were missing Pogba and Conte and all those guys that are injured in the midfield. You can finally tell that they were struggling there and France didn't get a lot of chances and still managed to put two past a very good English team despite not getting a lot of chances. So if they start to get a little bit of chances against Morocco, it's going to be hard to keep them off the board. But man, this is fun. And obviously Argentina and Croatia at the other end. And I'll tell you what I told a lot of my other friends is it's going to be hilarious that despite all of the parody, all of the upsets, all the craziness this World Cup has shown us, that despite all of that, we're just going to end up with a France-Croatia rematch. The same World Cup. <laughs> yep, the same one. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just cheering for drama right now, right? Like I, I really enjoyed the France-England game, the way that shook out, England getting back into it, having the chance of the penalty kick. So I just want drama. I want it to go to the last minute. I want a couple overtimes if we can. But, um, yeah, I have nothing bad to say about this World Cup and, and the way it's set up. Um, I, it, it shook out the way it should have, right? I mean, it's it's been entertaining as hell. And before I feel like we have to, you know, pump the brakes on the World Cup talk because you might have confused – a big portion of our listenership by saying Morocco is an African Arab Muslim country. I think that's a whole nother podcast for some of our listeners to be able to grasp and understand. Um, I'm sure a big portion are just now learning where Morocco even is, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's been a, a fa fantastic world cup. I'm excited for this final four and worst part is that it's almost over. Right. And then we got another four years yeah. to wait for this fantastic tournament, tournament a little again. bit less, a little bit less than four years, thankfully, because this one took four and yep. a half years to yep. get to. So the next one will take three and a half years to get to. Um, I'm, I'm so excited to see how this all shakes out. There's a part of me that if France wins that game Wednesday is going to book a flight to Michigan for 24 hours, skip the avalanche game Saturday and go watch the final there with my friends and family. But we'll see how, how uh, adventurous I'm feeling with flight prices around Christmas a yeah. week out. So uh, this is going to be so much fun, man. Those games, like that entire round of eight was so fun. The ending of the Brazil game, they get that one, nothing lead. And then they give it up. They cough it up at the 116th minute and then lose in the shootout. The Argentina-Netherlands game, oh my God. Did you watch that game? Yep, absolutely. Did you watch that last-minute fucking set-piece set goal where to the point where England had a free Straight kick. out of a video game. Straight out of a video game. England had a free kick against France in the final minute. Same exact kind of thing. It was the 99th minute of an eight-minute stoppage time. So they were well past. You knew this was the last shot. Mm -hmm. France set up the wall and then Teo Hernandez laid on the floor behind the wall saying, you guys aren't going to fucking do to us what Netherlands did to Argentina. And then Argentina ends up winning it, I think, in the shootout as well in PKs. Mm -hmm. um, so those two games were crazy. Obviously, the Morocco game against Portugal, getting that one nothing lead and holding the fort down was so much fun. And then the France-England game, what more could you ask for in terms of drama? Down to that second penalty kick that Harry Kane had where he missed high and wide. Horrible. Um, just bad, bad penalty kick take in this tournament. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think goalies are just getting so much better that, you know, forwards have to kind of second guess a hell of a lot more than they have in the past. So. Um, it's way harder just, than it looks. I, I grew it up absolutely playing soccer is. and I always sucked at that part of the game for some reason. Yeah, it absolutely is. People think it's, you know, this big net you can just score and, you know, everybody should be scoring five of five. It's, it's not that easy. And we're seeing 
you know, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing what the Argentinian goalie, what's his name? Uh, oh my God, Emilio something Martinez. I, I love that guy. We're seeing what he's been doing. We're seeing obviously the, the shot that Mimo Ochoa saved in the group stages. We're seeing what I think Messi was stopped by Poland on a PK. Um, it's just a lot of fun to see these goalies. Like soccer is a game where watching a good save is fun uh, compared to other sports. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what the final four brings us. Yeah. Hey, I like good hockey saves. I like good hockey saves, but uh, yeah, that'll do it. We got a couple games. We'll see you at ball arena this week and seven times out of the next nine games we'll be there. So uh, yeah, if you're bored and enjoying a December game at ball arena, let us know. We'll come say hi to you. Meet us in the, Third level, right, Arif? Third level, second level, we got you. Um, yeah, that'll do it for, for today. We'll be back later on the week, get back into a regular routine now that I'm back from vacation, and you'll hear a lot more from Arif and I, and, and we'll see how this week plays out. But other than that, thanks for hanging out. Closing thoughts for uh, the week, Arif. I got nothing. It's going to be an exciting week of hockey. No travel, four straight at Ball Arena, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday. Should be a lot of fun. And then Wednesday. Um, and Wednesday, yeah. yes. Indeed. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. We'll be back. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.